everyone thinks strongly. Okay. Let's have a look and see what's uh, coming up here at uh, the sermon. Turn to Daniel chapter 7 with me. Daniel chapter 7. And we'll read verse 14 this morning, just one verse. Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we, uh, we thank you once again for this uh, precious opportunity that we have here to look into your word and to be taught by you. We ask this morning that our hearts be fully open to your truth, that we would um, receive it gladly, willingly, Lord, with much joy, that our own hearts would be, and hearts would be changed and our minds would be uh, conformed to that of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that your spirit would continue to work in our hearts, Lord, teaching us your ways, guiding us along your paths. And Father, this morning I pray that we would be challenged to live more deeply for you, that we would love you more, that we would serve you with greater faithfulness, Lord, and that we would endure more for your sake. Father, help us to grow stronger in the faith this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today is the second part and the final part of the Millennial Kingdom that I spoke about two weeks ago. I started speaking to you about um, the joys and, uh, and, and what that thousand year reign will look like uh, a couple of weeks ago and I'd like to finish that off this week. I'll just give you a bit of a recap before. The end of the tribulation period, that seven-year period where the world comes under the judgment of God, the Antichrist rises up and assumes control of the world, uh, ends with a great war. And most of you, I've already spoken to you about it. That war is called Armageddon. Okay? It shall occur when the armies of the earth are gathered against and array themselves in the valley of Megiddo, or the valley of Jezreel, um, not against each other but against the Lord, which I find an absolutely incredible thing. To think that, that these armies have been inspired by Satan to array themselves and align themselves waiting for the Lord to come in that way, uh, I find absolutely amazing because it says that they, they, they go there to fight him. And that battle is won by the Lord. The Bible teaches very clearly that that the Lord returns with his saints and with his angels. And so that battle not only encompasses the world of men, but is also a spiritual battle where the armies of heaven actually cleanse the earth of all demonic presence and cleanse the earth of all evil, including Satan himself. And at that time, Satan is cast into the abyss or the bottomless pit. And he's incarcerated there for a period of a thousand years. And during this thousand years, the actual world is at peace completely. At that time, 
And during that time, Jesus will rule both physically and spiritually in the world, with the throne set up literally in the city of Jerusalem, as we know it today. His government will span the entire globe. And as we read that passage in, uh, in Daniel, this verse in Daniel, it says that his kingdom encompasses all people, all nations, and all languages. There, is, there won't be a place in this world that he will not have control of. That's very different to today. You see, he has control, and now he has dominion in the hearts of his people. But he doesn't have physical dominion in this world. The thousand years, or the millennium, as we've been speaking about, will be a time when he has dominion in the hearts of people and physically in the world. I've been studying the millennium. I often struggle with picturing it in my mind. Now, have you ever been to a? Have you ever? Um, have you ever planned to go to a, a place overseas, for instance, that you've heard a lot about, and you're excited to go and visit? But then when you get there, it's actually different. Have you ever, ever noticed that? And sometimes it's it's more wonderful than what you thought, and sometimes it's not as good as what you thought. Maybe the brochures were a little bit too. <laughs> Maybe they're a little bit too excited about it. Maybe they, they, they puffed it up a little bit too much. Um, but it's not until you actually get to the place you actually understand exactly what it's like, isn't it? So you can have this picture in your mind, and sometimes the picture in your mind doesn't actually fit reality. When we're talking about the millennium, understand that it's, it will be a time that is completely different to today. And it's even difficult for us to comprehend some of the very basic things that it speaks about. Like, imagine a world where there are only believers. Like, I find that difficult to even comprehend because I've never lived in that world. I've only lived in a world where, where there's been conflict and strife and there have been problems and the governments of the world aren't saved and, and they make choices and we're continually struggling against, against the, you know, the forces of evil. In that world, there will be no forces of evil. Everyone will be saved. And then... As I think about some of the other things that, that, that it mentions, such as you know, people living possibly a thousand years of a lifetime, no sickness, and with the animals, um, you don't have to be afraid of, of animals and then are afraid of man. There are so many different things that it speaks about. I struggle to, to take it all in. But it still doesn't stop me from getting excited about it. So this morning I'd like to recap quickly about what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago and then launch into some of the uh, some of the things that we didn't speak about last time so i'll recap quickly three aspects of the rule of christ will include it shall span every nation and people on this planet okay so there won't be a rebellious part there won't be a part that that isn't part of this whole thing the whole world will come under the dominion of christ who will rule physically from Israel. Luke chapter 1 verse 31 says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. The millennium also includes the return of Israel to the Lord. You see, the Bible teaches that at the moment there is a veil that covers the eyes of, of Israel. 
of, of the house of that house of Jacob is is Israel. Okay, so at the moment they've rejected Christ, even though there are some who have turned to him. The major, the vast majority have not accepted him as their savior. That have not they have not believed that he is the Messiah that God had sent and promised from Genesis, from the very beginning. The Bible teaches, though, that there will come a time, and it will happen during the seven-year period, just before the millennium, where they will turn to him as a people. They will accept him as their saviour. And the Bible says that he will then rule over the house of Jacob, which tells me that in the end, the house of Israel, the house of Jacob, still exists as an entity in and of itself. The Bible also teaches, and the third point about Christ's rule, is that it shall be governed by the saints of God. So even though Jesus will rule from, from Jerusalem, he will have his saints rule all the different regions of the world. And that will probably be countries, nations, continents, cities, states. The same way that we, we notice structure in government well, probably the same way the Lord introduced some sort of structure around the world. And he says that he will give dominion to his saints. Daniel chapter 7, you don't have to turn with me there, but Daniel chapter 7 verse 27 says, And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So Jesus allows his saints... To rule the world. Excited about that? The millennium will then begin with the resurrection of those who were murdered for their faith during the tribulation period. During the tribulation, there will be there will be an enormous amount of death that will take place, and during that time, the Antichrist will seek to kill every believer that resists his rule. You see, if you remember the Revelation, it says that he will cause all, small and great, rich and poor, bond and free, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And without that mark, they won't be able to buy or sell. Now, that mark, though, will, will designate you as a follower of the Antichrist, that you are his worshipper. And it says that he will create an image and the whole world will, will worship that image, except for the ones who refuse the mark and you refuse to bow down to that image. And guess what their lot will be during, the, during that seven-year rule of the Antichrist? It won't be a good one. They will be persecuted, they will be murdered, they will be hunted down during that time. The Bible says that, that literally millions of them will lose their heads for what they believe. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20, and we'll have a look at that passage which, which mentions it. Now, an interesting thing that, that's mentioned in this passage, actually I'll mention to you, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it after we've read it. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 to verse 6. It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, 
neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, what's going on here? After the tribulation period, and during the tribulation, there will be a multitude of people that turn to Christ. Okay? They'll, they'll have an option. The option will be either follow the Antichrist and worship him, or realise that Christ is the actual saviour of the world, and they turn to him and, and risk persecution and death. And that's what happens with millions of people. And they are persecuted during that time. They will primarily be evangelised through 144,000 Jewish men who will be the first ones to turn to Christ. And they will become one of the strongest evangelists that, we've ever, that the world has ever seen. They will encompass the world and they will preach boldly and people will turn to Christ because of them. Okay? But what happens is that, that a lot of these people are killed during this time. And actually it says there, it mentions, interestingly enough, it says they, they're going to be beheaded for what they believe which is amazing because it already anticipates the way he's going to kill them. What happens at the end of the tribulation period after Christ returns is that he resurrects those people that died during that, during that period. Now there's something interesting here to note. It doesn't say that he resurrects every believer through all ages at this point, does it? It only speaks about the ones who died during the tribulation. So what happens to the rest of the people before that time? Where are they? What happens to all the believers who have died in these last 2,000 years and before? Well, guess what? They've been resurrected already. Okay? That's why there's only a resurrection after the tribulation period. It only needs to be one after that, which, which then explains why there's a rapture probably before the tribulation period. Everyone else has been raptured already and all the believers have been taken up. That leaves a seven-year period and then the Lord raptures those people or gives them new bodies again. He resurrects those people who have lost their heads. He gives them whole new bodies and they then are given the rule in the earth. They become, the, as the Bible says here, priests of God and of Christ and they reign with him 1,000 years. Turn back to Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. Now this is before, and this is during the tribulation period. So understand that this is not finished yet, right? This is not at the end of the tribulation, but during it. And this is what happens in Revelation 6, 9. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled as they were is going to be beheading. So during the tribulation period you have 
people who were killed, they're brought up to heaven, right? They go straight to heaven and they're waiting there. And they say to God, God, when are you going to avenge us? When are you going to bring justice to the world? Because there will be during that time incredible injustice. And God says, wait for a little longer until the rest of your brethren are killed the same way that you are. When their number is complete, then I'll, I'll bring judgment to the world. And he does. Because when Christ returns on the cloud, followed by his saints and the angels, it says that there will be a judgment in this world. And it says that the judgment of the nations occur. That's the one where it says that he... He puts the goats on his left and the sheep on his right and the sheep, he says, well done, come into the kingdom, inherit the kingdom because they were the ones who survived the, the tribulation period. They're the believers who helped the other ones. Okay, And they survive and they, they're brought into the, into the kingdom, into the millennium, alive. Okay? The other ones who, who helped to persecute the believers, Jesus calls them the goats. And they're, and they're done away with. In fact, the judgment of the world means that there will be no unbeliever left. God cleanses the world of every person who followed the, the Antichrist during those seven years. Every person is killed. At the same time, the only ones who are left are the ones who believe and the ones who are resurrected during that time or at the end of that, that, that period. The Bible teaches it in a couple of different ways. It mentions it a couple of different ways. There's a passage in Revelation 14 where Jesus pictured, don't turn with me now because we've got too many, too many things to get through, but in Revelation chapter 14, it, it pictures Jesus coming on a cloud, having a sickle in his hand. And a sickle is the thing that you, you cut the, the wheat with, right? All right? And it says that he's got a golden crown on his head and he's coming down to the, world, to the earth. And an angel says, um, reap the world, reap, because the harvest is ripe. Right? That is where Jesus comes at the end of the, of the tribulation period and he, he takes with him the believers. Right? He, he takes the believers and he saves them. And then it says, there's another angel with a sickle in his hand. So there's a Lord with a sickle, and then it says, another angel comes with a sickle, and it says, be ready to harvest now, because your harvest is ripe, and the grapes, the grapes are ready to be harvested, and they will be thrown into a, a vat, and they will be trampled down. And they are all the unbelievers. So it gives a very clear sort of picture that at the beginning of the tribulation period, there's a huge judgment that takes place. Absolutely massive. Okay? Mind you, a lot of the people in the world have been killed already. Okay? There are, there are, if you look at some of the, uh, some of the figures in, the, in Revelation, you see that a quarter of the people are killed at a particular time. Now, how many people have we got? Six, seven billion, is it? Seven billion at the moment? Okay. At one time, it says a quarter of the world's population is killed. All right? And then another, another part, it says a third of the population is killed. Well, a third of it, uh, 7 billion people is, is a lot of, over 2 billion people in one go. So a lot of people are killed, but there are still millions and millions of people on the, on the planet. And whoever's left will be judged. Okay. So there's, there's, a, there's judgment and wrath at that time. Every unbeliever is cleansed from the earth. And the only survivors to enter into the millennial period 
are the ones who survive the tribulation period and are believers. The other ones that die are resurrected and they become the rulers. They become like the ones who govern. Okay? So, some people wonder how, how, how the world is populated after the tribulation period. Well, that's exactly it. Because if you're resurrected, if you're given a new body, do you have children? The answer is no. Jesus, Jesus answered the, um, the, the Pharisee very clearly on that, the Sadducees actually, and he says, you don't understand what you're talking about. The, the, the ones who were resurrected, right, the ones who were given new bodies like we will be when we're raptured, they don't have children anymore. The ones who have children are the, one, the only ones who have children are the ones who survive the tribulation period and enter into the, the millennial kingdom. They go on to repopulate the world. Okay? Now, they're all going to be living very long lives. If you're living a thousand years, guess how quickly the, the population is going to increase. And if you're living in a perfect environment, with no sicknesses and, and there's, an, there's a, an abundance of everything, and you've got a perfect government, the population will grow very, very quickly. So over a thousand years, the world will fill up again with people. Okay? So, at this time, or during the tribulation period, it says that Israel will return to the Lord uh, en masse. Turn with me to Hosea, chapter 3, verse 4. Hosea chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Now Hosea gives a prophecy about Israel specifically and about what they will do towards the latter days and throughout most of their, of their time. He says, For the children, in verse 4, For the children of Israel shall abide many days, without a king, and that's true. They haven't had a king for a very, very long time. And without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So in the latter days of the, of the world, the Jews will come back to the Lord. The Jews will, who have rejected him. Remember when he rode in the white donkey into in Jerusalem? They were meant to have crowned him king at that stage, but it didn't happen. Okay, It wasn't destined to happen because he had to die for the sins of the world first. But it says they will accept him at that point. Okay, um, They need to turn with me here, but Zechariah says, Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem. So it says all these nations will come to seek God in Jerusalem. That's never happened before. That still has to happen. And to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So the Jews will, will do what they were supposed to have done from the very beginning. And that's to teach the world about who God is 
Now, they did a good job about preserving his word because they, they, they were responsible for writing the word of God and they did that, they preserved it. They did an amazing job with that through the grace of God. But they failed in their, in their job to actually teach the world about Christ. They failed. They failed over and over and over again. They were meant to be the examples to the world. We were meant to have looked at them and learned from them about who God is. But during this, during this time, they will, they will do that. They will do the very thing they were called to do from the beginning. And the Bible says that of all the nations, they will look to them as their examples, as their teachers. This thing. Okay. Jerusalem. Physical Jerusalem, not the heavenly Jerusalem, shall be restored to glory with the Lord himself in the midst of her. Once again, references in the Bible to a restored Jerusalem that was trodden down by the Gentiles Gentiles can only be the physical Jerusalem. Because the heavenly Jerusalem has never been trampled down by, by Gentiles. So that is the place where the Bible says where Jesus will actually rule from. It's not the heavenly Jerusalem. That comes later down the track. So it says there that he will rule from physical Jerusalem for a thousand year period. That's where I finished last time. Let's have a look at the renewed character. What happens in the world at that stage? Well, Jerusalem not only becomes the political capital of the world, but becomes the religious capital of the world as well. And the world is full of, as I've mentioned, genuine believers. Righteousness and justice characterise the Millennial Kingdom because everyone who's gone into the, the Kingdom is a genuine believer. Not a nominal believer, not someone who just calls himself a Christian, but genuine believers whose hearts are filled with the Holy Ghost. During the Millennium, there will be a righteous manner of life in the world. In other words, unrighteousness or, um, or sin will be the absolute exception. It won't be the rule as we see it today. Through the millennium, though the millennium, sorry, is a political kingdom, it nevertheless will provide a context for a high level of spiritual life and experience. Christ will reign in the hearts of his followers. As he does now, he will do it with everyone then. The important part of this whole thing is to understand the difference between now and then is that now he rules in our hearts in a limited sense. There's only a few of us in the world, but then he, the whole world will see his glory. He will physically be present in the world. Turn to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Towards the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah 14. Now before we read the, the passage that I've chosen here, understand that a temple will be built in Jerusalem. A new temple. Ezekiel explains the whole thing. If you, if you spend some time in Ezekiel, he describes the size of it and the whole, all the details about it. Okay, um, And what happens is, is that the nations of the world are invited to come to that place on a regular basis and actually come to celebrate what, what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Right? I mean, you, might, you might think, what's the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, we'll find out in a second. But every country in the world, we expected to at least send what, what I think is representatives to that feast over there. 
Look at Zechariah 14, verse 16. Now this is referring to the millennial kingdom, and it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, so there's only the ones that are left. Remember I said to you, only the ones that have survived, okay? Shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up from all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and, and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague, wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So the Feast of Tabernacles, God is going to expect them to come every year, send representatives every year to celebrate this thing. And if they don't, he will judge them as a nation. He will not cause it to rain on their country. Interesting, isn't it? What does that tell you? Will it be absolutely perfect? No. Because if the Lord is actually having to judge nations for not being obedient, it won't be perfect. So what does that tell you about believers in the world? The world might start with believers. But they will have children. And they will have children. And they will have children. Remember Noah's Ark? And God cleansed the whole world, didn't he? With eight people. Who you might say, well they're believers. How long did it take for them, for the world to become corrupted again? It didn't take long at all. And even though this world will be a perfect, absolutely perfect environment with Jesus ruling himself in Jerusalem, we find that even during this millennium, millennial period, that there will still be people who are unsaved. Because salvation is not forced on anyone. Salvation is still going to be a choice that people make to accept Jesus as their king and as their saviour. So there will still be disobedience during this time. But just to give you a quick rundown, the Feast of Tabernacles is a seven-day feast where people build these little booths or huts. And they live in them for seven days and they eat and they have their meals and everything. But the, the, the purpose of it was to remember, and this is a Jewish feast, was to remember the 40 days they spent, the 40 years they spent in the wilderness. Okay? So 40 years in the wilderness and they were having to continually set up their tents, pack them up, move to the next place, set up their tents, pack them up. So that was it was meant to remind Israel about how they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Now God is expecting the whole world to do the same. Why? Why would God expect Gentiles to remember the thing that the Jews were actually asked to remember? Well, I don't have the exact answer to that, but I think I might, I might have a clue. But the world itself has been in the wilderness for thousands of years. It's been, it's been alienated from God, shifting from place to place, never settled, never, never at peace during all this time. And maybe God's telling them to remember that. Now, during this millennium, the Bible says there will be sacrifices, believe it or not. That the, the temple will be set up and they will, they will have sacrifices in this place as well. But they won't be for salvation. They will be commemorative. They will, they will be there to remind the world about what was done at Calvary. As the Old Testament um, sacrifices were meant to be a picture of what would come. You know when they sacrificed the lamb? That was a picture of Jesus dying on the cross. 
the sacrifices in the millennium are going to be commemorative. Just like we, we do this now, just like we, uh, we commemorate the death of our Lord with this particular thing, God will ask the nations to make sacrifices in order to remember the sacrifice that was made for them. So the millennial sacrifices will look back at the cross. The power of the Holy Spirit will be manifest in the millennium as well. People will be saved the same way that we are today. They'll, they'll accept Christ as their saviour. They'll receive him into their heart. The Holy Spirit will, will, will abide within them and the power of the Holy Spirit will work through them just as it does today. The difference is that during the millennium there will be a much higher level of spiritual life compared to today. Now let's look at the world. The Bible says that the world at that time will be returned to an Eden-like situation. During the tribulation period, much of the world has been destroyed. It's actually been completely decimated. If you look at Revelation 8, you don't need to turn with, turn with there just now because once again we've got plenty of stuff to go through. But Revelation 8 tells us that during the tribulation period, a third part of all the trees are burned up, a third part of all the grass is burned up, a third part of the sea turns to blood. A third part of all rivers become undrinkable. A third of all men die. A third of the stars are blotted out. And by the end of the seven years, it says that the whole sea dies. It becomes like the blood of a dead man. Oof. It's not going to be very nice. And all the sea creatures die within the actual sea. Most of the world has been destroyed either by fire, by wars, by ravages of, of, uh, of these armies, or these armies that will be... Uh, be fighting during this time all the rivers will be corrupted the sun will scorch men it will it will actually flare up and will actually scorch men as well with heat there will be violent earthquakes that have never been seen before and hail will land on the earth that's around 50 kilos heavy each one it isn't going to be a very nice place at the end of the tribulation period but the bible says that during the millennium that it will be turned into an Eden-like state. Even though much of the earth will be completely decimated, during the millennium we're told that the earth, the earth will return to absolute ideal conditions. How long this takes, I don't know. Whether the Lord just clicks his fingers and, and it's all fixed in one, one second, I don't know. There, is, there are some indications about how he will do it, but we know a few things that will happen. The Bible says the curse that God put on the ground, remember that Adam had to, had to work through the sweat of his brow and there will be thorns and thistles and, and the, the earth will not give of its, of its uh, richness. Um, that, that curse will be lifted. So the earth will become very fruitful. So the desert will produce abundant crops. It will be a time of prosperity on the earth. And there's an interesting thing in Ezekiel. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 47. Because we see one of the ways in which the Lord will bring healing to the world. And it's done, funnily enough, through a river. Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel 47 verse 1, and we'll read verse 1 first, and it says, Afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house, 
and behold, waters. Now, now this is. Just, I'll just. I'll just give you some background. Okay. This is the temple of God. This is where Christ has His throne, and the Bible says that from the temple, from underneath the temple, issues water. The Garden of Eden, when God created the world and the Garden of Eden was, was planted by God, it says that water came up from the ground, that, that watered the ground, and actually four rivers flowed from the Garden of Eden and watered all the, all the, all the, uh, the, the earth around that place. Well, this is what's going to happen again. God's going to return to that sort of system again. And it says here, it says, Afterward he brought me again under the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. And for the forefront of the house stood toward the east. And the waters came down from under, from the right side of the house, at the south side of the altar. Now turn to verse 7. Now when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and on the other. Then said he unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country, and go down into the desert, and go into the sea, which... Which being, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed. And everything shall live whither the river cometh. Now... Did Ezekiel know that, that, that did Ezekiel know that all the seas of the world will be will die? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he didn't have to. But he's been told here that a river will issue from the, the temple of God, and wherever that river goes, it heals the waters and brings forth life. So why did why did he say that it has to be healed? Because God already knew that the waters would be destroyed. And the, the water that comes from, from Jerusalem will literally heal the oceans of the world. This is amazing. Because the, the Lord will actually bring healing to the world and lift the curse from the earth, it says that the earth will be very productive. Turn to Amos chapter 9 verse 13. Amos. Chapter 9, verse 13. So the Bible tells us, in Amos chapter 9, verse 13 to 15, if, if you've got that, that the earth will be productive and fruitful. Look what it says here. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the ploughman shall overtake the reaper. The ploughman shall overtake the reaper. Who goes first normally? The ploughman or the reaper? The ploughman goes first, isn't it? So how does the ploughman overtake the reaper? Mm. And the treader of grapes, him that soweth the seed. And the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. The ploughman 
the payment overtakes the reaper, then the reaper can't keep up with the actual production. The guy who's reaping is, is having struggling keeping up with the actual keeping up with the actual the, the, the fruit that's coming up from out of the ground. And the guy who's who's, who's ploughing and sowing is actually going going ahead and catching up with him. So there's going to be an absolute abundance of food during this time. So the world will become super productive. Because God lifts the earth, the, the curse from the earth and the ground, plants will grow very, very quickly. Fruit will, will never taste better. It will grow and it will be perfect. Actually, uh, Joel in chapter 2, verse 24 says, you don't need to turn with me, it says, And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil, and I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. The earth will be in absolute abundance. The, the, the trees will grow perfectly. There won't be any animals that are going to, to we worry about, you know, we worry about them being um, going extinct and those sorts of things. There will be an absolute abundance of everything. No one will starve. No one will, will, will struggle to eat. It will be an absolutely perfect environment and God will make it that way. The other thing that the world, it says the world will be, is we'll be in perfect peace. There'll be no wars. Do you know how much money the governments of this world spend on arms each and every day? They spend, I mean, I'm not sure if there are, if it's in the trillions for sure. Every year, trillions are spent on arms and bombs and, and everything else that goes with it, they won't need to spend that money on those things anymore because God will actually make sure that the world will be in complete peace. Turn to Micah chapter 4 with me. Micah chapter 4 verse 1. Micah chapter 4 verse 1. Read with me. But in these last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit, every man under his vine, and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of the hosts of hosts has spoken it. So, isn't that interesting? They have to beat their, their swords into plowshares and their spears and the pruning hooks, which means they have to convert all that metal that, that they use for, uh, for things into actually making farming equipment because they can't keep up with the production, <laughs> right? Which is a, a fantastic picture of, uh, of the way the world's going to be. There'll be no more need to have nuclear deterrence. There'll be no more need to have you know, ships you know, patrolling your coastline, there'll be no more need 
to have an army just in case someone invades you, the Lord will make sure that the world will be in complete peace and people can... Well, the picture of a guy sitting under his vine tree, sitting under a fig tree and not having to worry about anything, not having to worry about being invaded, overtaken or, or killed, is a beautiful picture of the world at peace at that time. Okay, so not only will God make the world productive and peaceful, he actually will change the animal kingdom as well to what it was when he first created it. The fundamental part of God's message in, 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 in creation, in the origin of creation, was that it was absolutely perfect. All the evils in the world today, both moral and physical, come into the world as a consequence of man's sin. That's part of the problem. Man's sin has caused a breakdown in the world and God didn't create that. Genesis teaches that God regarded the world which he made with all the animals and trees and the heavens as, was it so-so, good or very good? It was very good. Everything God created in Genesis was very, very good. Okay, but how can it be good when you look at David Attenborough's, is it David or Richard Attenborough? I don't know what's he asking me to David Attenborough. When you watch his thing on, on, um, on TV and you see those, um, those uh, documentaries of animals killing each other and, and ripping each other apart, is that good? Is that the way God created it in the beginning? No. There was no death and there was no animals eating, eating other animals. So what's happened? Well, what's happened is that man's sin has caused this whole creation to groan in travail and to be subject to futility, as the Bible says, um, and things are going to change. We're told, we're told in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29 to 30, that in the beginning, vegetation was the food of man. So man was to eat of every green herb and fruits and things of that nature, and guess what? It was the same for every animal too. Whether they were lions and tigers and bears and everything else, they all ate fruits and, and trees. Um, I'll, read, I'll read this passage for you. Genesis 1.29 says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. So every animal, every insect, every, every type of, 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 of entity in this world only was designed to eat the, the fruit of a tree, herbs, plants, whatever it was. What happened? Well, man fell, man sinned, and animals started to turn and fear man and started to turn and eat, eat, eat each other. The actual the environment in the world changed, you see. The whole world changed. It started to... Remember how God cursed the, the, the ground? Well, when he cursed the ground, it caused animals to have to kill each other for food. Okay? So Genesis 9, verse 1, when God um, sent a flood to the earth, he spoke to, uh, to Noah and he said, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So they come out of the ark and God says, There's the world. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But God then changed the rules. 
because the world was a very different place. The world no longer could bring the, the type of fruit and vegetation and things that, that existed originally. So God said, well, they're not going to live. So God actually allowed man to eat meat. And it happened after. So sin came into the world and marred the world and the beautiful picture that God had made. And what we see today, what you see on your TVs with lions hunting antelope and, 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 and killing them and snakes biting and, and paralysing, that wasn't the way it was meant to be. And that's not the way it will be when the millennium comes. God will change the world back to what it was before. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11 to see what God says about the millennium. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 6 says The wolf shall dwell with the lamb That means live with the lamb The lamb is not going to be afraid of a wolf And the leopard shall lie down with the kid And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and, and a little child shall lead them And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice's den, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How's that for a picture? There'll be no fear of animals, and animals won't be afraid of man anymore. You could be walking down the street and a lion could be there and you can give it a pat and you don't have to worry about it. If, a snake, if you find a snake in your bed, you're not going to jump up and down and you're not going to be running around. You'll probably just pick it up and put it somewhere else. Um, no more fear of spiders and no more fear of, of, of any other type of animal that might hurt you. Um, and they won't be afraid of man either. And they won't be afraid of each other because they won't be eating each other anymore. There'll be plenty of food for them to eat and they'll all have a desire to eat that fruit, rather than eating each other, which means God's going to do something in the animal, within the animal, to change their very nature, which I find amazing as well. Someone asked me a couple of weeks ago whether there was still going to be McDonald's in the millennium. <laughs> Look, I, I think there won't be a McDonald's. I think Hungry Jacks will make it through because <laughs> um, their burgers are better. But I don't know whether, whether uh, McDonald's is going to be there. Look, and honestly, I don't know. I don't know. We, we, know, that, we know that there will still be sacrifices of, of certain types of animals. Um, I don't know whether there will still be, um, or will still eat. So for those of you who love your steaks and your barbecues and everything, um, I'm sorry. Um, but it's amazing how God can change the nature of a person. Maybe before you're saved, you have certain loves and desires, don't you? And then when you get saved, all of a sudden God changes your desires overnight. You don't have those desires anymore. You have new desires. So I'm sure in God's, in God's mind, we won't, in our, our hearts and in our minds, we won't miss anything. There'll be so much of everything. There will be nothing that we miss. And to be honest with you, I don't even, I'm not even sure where we're going to be. I'm not even sure if we're going to be on the earth. The Bible says that, that after the thousand years, heavenly Jerusalem comes down, and I know we're in that. So 
whether we're with the Lord in heaven or whether we're on the earth or whether we're up going up and down or whatever it is, I know the Lord will um, the Lord will bless us in so many ways that we will not even we can't even imagine even now. Okay, which brings us to the final point that there will be there will be um, very healthy lives that are lived. Okay, apparently sickness will be much less prevalent during the millennium. Although it doesn't necessarily say there will be none. Okay, there will be some by the looks of it, but there will be a cure always. There will always be a, a, an answer to it, which the Lord will provide. Um, any previous illness and physical disabilities, God will fix. Okay, so um, if you if you're got a problem physically and you're entering into the into the thing, which won't be us, okay. Um, but someone who's lived through the tribulation period who may have a physical ailment or, or disability will not enter into the millennium with a physical disability. I'll read a couple of passages for you. Isaiah 29.18 says, In that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of, out of darkness. It says even those who are lame will be, will be healed. And it says the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart and the tongue of a dumb shall sing for in the wilderness shall waters break out and the streams in the desert. Ezekiel 47.12 says And by the river upon the bank thereof on the side, on that side, shall grow all trees for me. Remember that river I told you about? It's going to come out of Jerusalem. It's going to heal the waters of the world and it's going to bring uh, uh, life again to where there was death. It says on each side of that river, there will be trees that grow. Okay? And those trees um, shall all grow, it says, for meat, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months, because their waters... The, the waters they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof shall be for medicine. So there will be healing, and there will be fullness. So that the, the life that comes, that will flow from the throne of Christ, will be physical, and it will be spiritual. And the world will, will have an abundance of everything, and in general, it says that People will live very, very long ages. In fact, it says in Isaiah, there shall be no more fence in infinite days. So children who are born will not die within a few days, Okay, as you see in much of the world today. Nor an old man that hath not filled his days, for the child shall die, for the child that shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. So a child who dies you'll be considered a child at 100 years old. Let's put it that way. You'll still be considered a child at 100. But as I've said, there's something inherent in these verses. Even though it's a perfect environment, it still says here, the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. So there'll still be sinners in the world. It won't be... It won't be absolutely perfect from the point of view. God will make a perfect environment. God will make a... There'll be a perfect government. There'll be perfect everything environmentally, okay, and conditionally. But the heart of man will still be the heart of man unless they accept Christ. There will still be sin in the world. And God will deal with that sin and make sure that justice is always done. But the amazing thing is, is that even in these idyllic conditions, absolutely perfect conditions, and Satan's been locked up 
There are no demons in the world to, to tempt men and, to, and to, to push them into doing things they're not meant to do. There is still a propensity to sin. And guess what? After a thousand years, God lets Satan out of, the, out of his uh, cell, his holding cell, and he goes around to seize the nations all over again, and now man rebels all over again. That's the story of man. Fallen from the beginning, and even when his, his king is living within his sight, even in a perfect government, even with perfect conditions, even after all that God's done, man will still rebel. Which is a sad story, isn't it? But in the end, God is always faithful. God has always been faithful. The Apostle Peter, I'll finish up with this. Nevertheless, Peter says, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth. That's what we're looking for. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. We want to be in a place where righteousness rules. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, seeing that our hearts are in that uh, are set on heaven above, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. So what's your goal as a Christian? Be with him in peace. Walk with him every day. Nurture your relationship with him. Because the days that we have are short. None of us I know here have a thousand years to play around with. We only have a few years. And pretty soon, eternity will come upon us, one way or the other. And in the end, what you do with the few years you have will make the difference of how you live in the rest of eternity. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. If you're not, there's only one state that you will go to. And that will be a lake of fire in complete darkness, in complete loneliness, abandoned by everyone who you thought loved you and away from the God that you rejected. It will give you the desires of your heart if you really want it. But imagine that existence without end. Imagine that existence without anyone that you know and love. Imagine that existence in eternal torment without any hope of reprieve, without any hope of relief. Does that scare you? It should scare you. If you say that it shouldn't scare you for your sake, but it should scare us for other people's sakes. How many are going to that place, even as we speak? And if you're a Christian, don't waste the time. There isn't much of it. Be faithful. Be holy. Be at peace with your Lord. Don't rebel against him now. Because if he, if, he if he doesn't discipline you now, which is never a, which is never a nice thing anyway, you're going to find yourself ashamed when you stand before his throne. Do you really want to be there in that way? So remain with him in peace, with that spot and blameless, as we look forward to what he has in store. So never let us God bless you.